Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell, and I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I welcome you to part two of the uh, podcast that we're doing with Dr. Lori Dorfman, director of the Berkeley Media Studies Group. Uh, in the other podcast that we recorded, we talked about Lori's work on the very important issue of digital marketing. And in this podcast, I'd like to talk to Lori about also important work that she's done on how the news frames health issues. And I know, Lori, that you've uh, been engaged in this work for quite a long time, and it's very interesting. Tell us why you think it's important to understand how the, the media deals with health issues. Well, my background's in public health, Kelly, and when I went to public health school, the first thing they taught me is that the best way to improve a population's health is to improve the environment in which they live, and that's the physical environment, the social environment, and when you think about that and think about where people live and how they live and you want to improve it, you have to consider how it got that way and who keeps it that way. And when you go that route, you have to think about policymakers because they're the ones making the rules about what's okay and what's not okay in our society. If you want to have a conversation with the rule makers and you want it to be a serious conversation, then you have to pay attention to the news because that's what they pay attention to. And sometimes that's where you have to have your conversation. And that's what takes me as a public health person toward an interest in journalism and the news. I want to know how public health issues are being portrayed so I can understand what the starting point of the conversation is on any given issue with the policymaker. So that's why we study the news. We want to know what the extent of debate is, what the range of arguments are, so that we can anticipate what our opposition is going to say and, and learn what that's about, and also understand where the gaps are, what's not being said about public health issues that needs to be explained if we're going to create environments in which people can be healthy. Um, can you give us examples of how you go about collecting that kind of information? Sure. We study the news primarily. So depending on the issue, we might study one particular set of newspapers or broadcasts. But in general, what we're doing is trying to assess the arguments that people are making. For that reason, it's very useful sometimes to look at the editorial pages and the op-eds and the letters to the editor because that's where people really express their opinion strongly. That's also a place in the newspaper, for example, where legislators turn first because they want to know what their how their constituents feel about a particular issue. So we We'll, based on the subject we're interested in, do a survey of the news using keywords and then assess it, read it closely, read it closely again, and try to understand how an argument is being made. We want to know what metaphors people are using, what kinds of appeals to principle do they make, what kind of statistics do they repeat over and over again. If you take their argument to the logical conclusion, where do you end up? What are the historical examples? And when you array these kinds of um, elements of a story, you can kind of get a picture of how it's being expressed and what's being included and what's being left out. And there's a consistent pattern in journalism that has a tremendous effect on how public health issues are understood. And the consistent pattern has to do with storytelling. Because we're people, we like stories, journalists tell stories, they don't tell issues, as producers have been known to say. And when the, you tell a story, you generally put a person at the center of the story. That's interesting, but it's problematic for public health because it means that the person is in the foreground and the environment or what brought that person to that particular place in time or illness is not 
as visible. And it's hard to make the background as visible and as important and compelling as the personal part of the story. So we end up with stories that make it harder for public health people to represent the context in which the problems happen. And that's consistent across issues we've, we've looked at, for everything from violence and crime news to how children's health is depicted in the news to how alcohol or tobacco are depicted in the news. Our most recent studies have been about how soda debates, when people are trying to get sodas out of schools, have been depicted in the news. And what you see over and over again is the argument made for personal responsibility that links easily to the stories about um, individuals in the news. So if if the, the media is inclined naturally to, to talk about stories of individuals, then that plays into the hands of the people that make the personal responsibility argument. Because, of course, if you're talking about an individual and them behaving in an environment, then their responsibility jumps right to the forefront, like you said. That's right. And, and let me be clear. Personal responsibility is extremely important. I'm all in favor of it, and I think we need more of it, usually, and especially in high places. But mm -hmm. it's not the only thing that's going on. So, for example, pa uh, parents need to make very good choices for their kids if they're going to be healthy about what they eat. But parents don't decide what is stocked in their corner store. They don't decide what's at their child's eye level. They don't decide on the marketing that their kid sees before they get to the store, and they don't decide how much something costs. So there's a lot about the world around them that they don't have control over that as a society in our public policy we have to have control over. And linking those things to health outcomes would make it easier for people to see why we have to have a say in some of those environmental factors. One thing I really like about your work, Lori, is that you've you're a scientist and, and a highly trained health professional and in that context do excellent work at documenting these sort of things as you've described. But you take it further and you want to make the information have an impact and be of use to people so you do training of advocacy groups and things. Would you explain a little bit about that please? Sure. The, um from my perspective, it's um, one thing to do the research, and it's another thing to have the research be used and be useful. And the research that we do informs the work that we do on media advocacy and media advocacy training and strategic consultation with public health groups. So media advocacy is the... Um, it's a tool for augmenting community organizing and policy advocacy since, as I said when I began, that it's so important to get policymakers' attention through the news. You have to pay attention to that aspect of it. So media advocacy helps people become stronger in policy debate so they understand the importance of the news and understand the basic media relations mechanics of the news so they can participate effectively. But then the other part of it has to do with framing, which is a term that people have been throwing around quite a lot lately as the examination of politics has become more interesting to a larger number of people. And in the public health context, the fact that stories are usually framed in terms of individuals and therefore lead to ideas about personal responsibility make them um, sometimes undermine public health goals. And yet the stories that are more about the context um, are going to help people see that there's more going on. So it's like this. News stories are usually framed like portraits, tightly around an individual or an event. And as public health people, we want to pull that frame out so people can see a portrait 
a story about a person which could be very important, but embedded in a larger landscape. And in media advocacy training, we help people connect the landscape to the portrait so that when they're talking to a reporter, they can have a fuller story that leads to the solution that they're seeking. You know, the portrait that you mentioned is a very interesting image that I hadn't really thought about. And when you said pulling the portrait apart, you could get a visual image of, of a, a picture that, that has a, a pretty narrow cropped vision or image of an individual and what you're talking about doing is putting your hands on either side of that frame and pulling them out or pulling them up and down so you see what's going on around the person and the factors that are really I don't even know that's this that's what you had in mind that's but exactly that's, what I had in that's mind what came, and it's a very powerful way of looking yeah. at things. I mean if you think about it literally uh, as a frame around a portrait and you pull it apart as you say and, and pull the frame out that's what frames are whether they are literal around real pictures that you can touch or whether they are around ideas and sometimes you have to pull the frame out from an idea so that you can see its precursors so you can see it's what happens as a consequence of it so that you can understand where your solution fits into a broader picture well maybe we can end with the, the following question that i'd like to ask um, given what you've learned about the way these issues are framed in the media, what can we tell people in the advocacy community and in public health communities about the, the way these messages get framed and, thing, and things that can be done when we interact with the press and issue press releases and do reports and things like that that might be helpful? Now, you've mentioned pulling apart the, the portrait frame itself, mm -hmm. which is a very powerful image and I think uh, is a good, good place to start. There are other things that people should consider in this context. There's a couple of things that are very important. And the first and foremost is that message is never enough. That it doesn't even start with message. That you have to know what it is you want to change in the real world and how you're going to change that. So what does it take to change that? And do you have your ducks in a row? Have you figured out what that is and how you're going to do it? Once you know that, then you can construct a media strategy that will help you make your case to different audiences, whether it's policymakers, your constituents, or the news media in terms that they can use to explain to other people what's important about this. And I think if you can do that, if you know what you want and can state it concisely and precisely, if you can frame it in a way that includes the context, and if you do the third thing, which is say why it matters. In public health, I think we have a tendency to think that data speak for themselves, but data can't talk people talk and people have to say why it's important and why it matters and if you can connect those three things you'll make a very strong case for your policy solution good very important points well Lori, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for sharing your work with us today well thank you for having me kelly so our guest was dr Lori dorfman director of the berkeley media studies group in california uh, and an expert on a variety of issues pertaining to how uh, health messages are framed um, you can visit the Berkeley Media Studies Group website and find a variety of resources that they have available, excellent resources, I must say. Um, and also, if you're interested, go to the Rudd Center website at www.yalerudcenter.org uh, to get a list of our uh, resources available, including the uh, roster of podcasts that we've recorded with excellent visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you. <laughs>